The tables turned. Up, up, my friend, and quit your books, or surely you'll grow double. Up, up, my friend, and clear your looks. Why all this toil and trouble? The sun above the mountain's head, a freshening luster mellow. Through all the long green fields have spread his first sweet evening yellow. Books, tis a dull and endless strife. Come hear the woodland linnet. How sweet his music on my life. There's more wisdom in it. And hark how blithe the throstle sings. He too is no mean preacher. Come forth into the light of things. Let nature be your teacher. She has a world of ready wealth, our hearts and minds to bless. Spontaneous wisdom breathed by health, truth breathed by cheerfulness. One impulse from a vernal wood may teach you more of man, of moral evil and of good, than all the sages can. Enough of science and of art. Close up those barren leaves. Come forth and bring with you a heart that watches and receives. Matins. Be authentic. Shadows of its sweet past in dreams, one could say imprecisely, evoking the almost silent ripping apart of giant sheets of cellophane. No, it thrusts up close, exactly in dreams. It has you off guard. You recognize it before you have time. For a second before waking, the alarm bell is a red conical hat. It takes form. The authentic, I said, rising from the toilet seat. The radiator and rhythmic knockings spoke of the rising steam. The authentic, I said, breaking the handle of my hairbrush as I brushed my hair in rhythmic strokes. That's it. That's joy. It's always a recognition, the known appearing fully itself and more itself than one knew. The new day rises as heat rises, knocking in the pipes with rhythms it seizes for its own. To speak of its invention, the real, the new laid egg whose speckled shell the poet fondles and must break if he will be nourished. A shadow painted where, yes, a shadow must fall. The cow's breath not forgotten in the midst, in the words, Yes, verisimilitude draws up heat in us, zest to follow through, follow through, follow transformations of the day in its turning, in its becoming. Stir the holy grains, set the bowls on the table and call the child to eat. While we eat, we think. As we think, an undercurrent of dreams runs through us, faster than thought towards recognition. Call the child to eat, send him off, his mouth tasting of toothpaste, to go down into the ground, into a roaring train, and to school. 
His cheeks are pink. His black eyes hold his dreams. He has left forgetting his glasses. Follow down the stairs at a clatter to give them to him and save his clear sight. Cold air comes in at the street door. The authentic, it rolls just out of reach, beyond running feet and stretching fingers, down the green slope and into the black waves of the sea. Speak to me, little horse, beloved. Tell me how to follow the iron ball, how to follow through to the country beneath the waves, to the place where I must kill you and and you step out of your bones and fly-strewn meat, tall, smiling, renewed, formed in your own likeness. Marvelous truth, confront us at every turn, in every guise, iron ball, egg, dark horse, shadow, cloud of the breath of air. Dwell in our crowded hearts, our steaming bathrooms, kitchens full of things to be done, the ordinary streets. Thrust close your smile that we know you terrible joy. There is an irony in preaching about Ralph Waldo Emerson's Divinity School address in a Unitarian Universalist church. In the address, one of the most important sermons in the history of our faith, Emerson called the Unitarian Church irrelevant to the search for religious truth. He quotes his wife, Lydian, who says that it is wicked to go to church on Sundays. She believes that it is harder to commune with the holy on the Sabbath in religious services than it would be in nature, in solitude, in almost any other setting. She would be in full agreement with the Ogden Nash poem that Lucy read as we lit our chalice. Emerson called the Unitarianism of his day corpse cold, unfeeling, lifeless, and rails against it in this address. To understand that Emerson's critique of our tradition is important to understand that Unitarianism has changed tremendously in the last 177 years, in part because of this Divinity School address. In 1838, Unitarianism was the relatively new name for an emerging liberal Christianity. It was centered in the Boston area and nearly all of its ministers were trained at Harvard. The Unitarians of that time considered themselves the leading edge of Christianity. They were deeply committed to biblical scholarship, using their knowledge of Greek, Hebrew, and history to discern which passages in the Bible were authentic and which were later additions. They believed that not every word in the Bible is historically accurate and literally true. This reproach was radical at the time, though it is now very common among most mainline Christians. The Unitarian scholarship led them to their belief that Jesus was not God. They believed he was a uniquely divine revelation, and they believed that the miracles described in the gospel were historical facts. These early Unitarians believed in one God, not the Trinity, not the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This view of Jesus wasn't what they considered the most important innovation of their emerging denomination. They thought their approach to scholarship and use of reason was really what was fascinating. But their opponents were outraged by their approach and their views of Jesus. 
and there were vicious fights and church schisms over dueling understandings of the divinity of Jesus about a generation before this famous address. Those who argued against our religious predecessors were the source of the name Unitarian. Originally, Unitarian was coined as an insult by more Orthodox Christians to emphasize that our religious ancestors were not Trinitarians. The Unitarians later claimed that name as their own, and we continue to today, even through the merger with the Universalist Church of America, even though our name is based on a theological position that many of us do not find particularly meaningful today, that it's not a core of our beliefs. Because of their commitment to the academic study of religion, among the Unitarians of Emerson's day, religious truth was the work of experts, those who knew biblical languages and could parse, parse the ancient texts in their original language. This meant that the educated clergy had the most access to divine truth, and they spent their sermons expounding on it, explicating the meaning of biblical passages in the original Greek or Hebrew, sharing what the latest history of textual formation had to say about the authenticity of the text. The Emersons, and likely others, found this approach to preaching very boring. Ralph Waldo Emerson knew the Unitarian world he criticized very well. His father was a Unitarian minister, and Waldo had graduated from Harvard Divinity not long before his address, and many of the faculty who listened to him that July had been his instructors. Emerson himself had also had a short career in the ministry. He left after a few years with doubts about his vocation, resigning his post when he felt that he couldn't serve communion or lead the congregation with integrity. A few years after that resignation, the graduating class of Harvard Divinity invited him to preach to them. In his address, he proclaimed that the holy needs to be known firsthand, not through intermediaries like scripture, preachers, academics, or tradition. He challenged how the Unitarians of his day understood Jesus. Instead of a unique divine revelation, Emerson said that Jesus spoke of himself as divine because he wanted each of his followers to understand that they are divine. He said that Jesus serves us through his holy thoughts, not through any innate holiness in his person. After attacking the prevailing views of the day among the Unitarians, Emerson proposed a new way to do theology, a new way to come to religious truth. He advocated for the importance of religious experience. He argued that every person has access to the holy and we should seek truth for ourselves rather than listen to others. Truth cannot be received secondhand. He urged the new ministers he addressed to convert life into truth and to have their sermons not rely on biblical scholarship, but life passed through the fire of thought. He believed that each person should seek the truth independently. He said, in words that reflect the use of gendered language of his day, let me admonish you, first of all, to go alone, to refuse the good models, even those which are sacred in the imagination of men, and dare to love God without mediator or veil. Friends enough you shall find who will hold up to your emulation Wesleys and Oberlins, saints and prophets. Thank God for those good men, but say, I also am a man. 
Imitation cannot go above its model. The imitator dooms himself to hopeless mediocrity. The inventor did it because it was natural to him, and so in him it has a charm. In the imitator, something else is natural, and he bereaves himself of his own beauty to come short of another man's. Emerson continues, Yourself a newborn bard of the Holy Ghost, cast behind you all conformity and acquaint men at first hand with deity. Look to it first and only that fashion, custom, authority, pleasure, and money are nothing to you, are not bandages over your eyes that you cannot see, but live with the privilege of the immeasurable mind. This was a radical idea. People finding religious truth in their own experience, not through scripture, tradition, or the teachings of others, was a radical idea. As you might imagine, the, the Unitarian establishment of the time were outraged by Emerson's address. He challenged much of what they held dear, the institution of the church, the academic study of the Bible as a source of truth, the formal training of clergy and their privileged position. They took their opposition to the press. Dueling articles and letters to the editor filled the pages of the Unitarian magazines of the day and spilled over into the secular press as well. At its heart, this theological fight was about how we know religious truth. The fancy philosophical word for this, for theory of knowledge, is epistemology. Work that into a sentence the next time you want to impress someone. The establishment Unitarians believe that the most reliable source of truth Sources of truth were scripture, tradition, and reason. That is why their sermons were impersonal and largely academic. Emerson had a different view. He ranked personal experience more important than everything else. This infuriated his opponents, and they wanted him to make a rational case for the arguments he put forth in the Divinity School Address. He wouldn't because he knew what he said was true from his experience and didn't believe that arguing was an effective way to convince someone of the truth. They should have their own experience. This fight dragged on for decades. As you might have already guessed from what you know of People's Church, Emerson's camp, the Transcendentalists, ultimately won this fight. It took a few generations and is an interesting story that I don't have the time to go into today. But now, every Unitarian Universalist congregation affirms and promotes six sources of our faith. The first would make Emerson proud. It's the direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures that moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. The rest of the sources speak of prophets, world religions, the Judeo-Christian tradition, reason and science, and earth-centered traditions. Scripture, which was an incredibly important source of religious truth to the Unitarians of the 1830s, is no longer on our list. This is not to say that holy texts aren't important to many individuals in our congregations, just that they are not considered a primary source of religious truth by our denomination. Emerson and the other transcendentalists who made similar arguments made room for mysticism in our tradition, 
made room for the people whose primary way of understanding the holy is through personal experience. The mystics are the ones who acquaint themselves firsthand with the divine, with the, with the authentic, with deity, with the spirit, with the intimate and the ultimate. Though there are mystics in every religious tradition, there, weren't really any, there wasn't any room for them in early Unitarian days. Those early Unitarians wanted their truth footnoted and replicable, and that is not how experience works. The primacy of religious experience as a source of knowledge in Unitarian Universalism today is one of our, one of our most distinguishing characteristics. It's the core of my elevator speech, the short description of our faith that I give when people ask me about it. If you don't have an elevator speech, I encourage you to create one. It's nice to have it in your back pocket for these moments. I usually say something like, we Unitarian Universalists believe that each person comes to the, their own understanding of religious truth from their own thinking and experience. And since each of us since each of us has different ways of thinking and different experience, we come to different truths. So in our congregations, we have atheists and Christians, Jews and agnostics, Buddhists, pagans, and people who don't have a good word for what they believe. We are bound together by shared values, including every person deserves respect and everything is interconnected. We all come together to worship as a church, to support one another, to worship together to educate our children and to make the world a better place. And it's really hard to describe, so the best way to learn about it is just to come. We worship at 1045 on Sundays. Despite the irony of preaching on the Divinity School address in a Unitarian Universalist congregation, I chose this topic today because our children are having their first religious education classes of the church year. Emerson would approve of how we teach our children here. The goal of our religious education program is not to teach our children about what, what is holy by relaying others' experiences, but to acquaint them at first hand with deity, or whatever word they use to describe what is most important. Our children will not be memorizing, they will be wondering. Their questions will be taken seriously, they will learn stories and metaphors and the history of our faith. And most importantly, they will be loved into being by their teachers and their classmates. The relationships they create in the classrooms here are transformative. As one Unitarian Universalist religious educator describes it, at the heart of our work with children is the understanding that spirituality is relational consciousness. Children inherently possess an existential spiritual awareness, a sensing of sacred mystery pulsing at the core of their being and knowing. Far beyond any lesson plan, this relation, relational consciousness is the essential instruction of religious education and emerges within a beloved community of trust and friendship. This is my experience. I was loved into being by a Unitarian Universalist congregation and its religious education program. As many of you know, my family, like many of the families here, started attending a Unitarian Universalist congregation when I was young because my parents needed a community in which to raise my brother and me. 
We were regular fixtures at Sunday school and church special events like the camping trip and the all-chocolate potluck were the highlights of the year for us. It was amazing. (laughs) The church was a place of refuge, a community where I didn't have to explain my polysyllabic religion to people who had never heard of it or classmates who thought I was going to hell. It was a place where I was free to wonder and have others join me in my wondering. A place where adults and peers took me seriously and took my questions seriously. Obviously, as someone who went pro in our faith, attending the congregation changed my life, but I was not the only one. Nearly everyone in my religious education cohort is living lives of integrity, service, and joy. The church equipped us to be ethical decision makers, to know our values, and to make the world a better place. Among those I am still in touch with from my Sunday school days, there is a doctor, a journalist, a jazz musician, an ice cream maker, a public health administrator, a preschool teacher, a carpenter, a director of religious education. All of us loved into being by the church that raised us. Not all of us practice the faith of our childhood now, but we were forever changed for the better by being raised within it. And on this first day of religious education, just imagine all the joy and meaning, love and justice that the children and youth in this congregation will make manifest in our world in the years to come. Right now, our children are also learning that we are part of a religious tradition that stretches across generations and across continents. I can vividly recall the first time I saw one of those lists of famous Unitarian Universalists. I was in fourth grade, and for some reason, I had assumed that Unitarian Universalism was only my church. I thought it was just 200 of us in the Seattle suburbs, and that was the extent. So I was amazed to learn that presidents, and other people I had learned about in history class shared our faith. We have a faith that stretches across time and space. And learning the important stories of our faith, stories like Ralph Waldo Emerson's Divinity, address at Divinity College, helped our children develop a Unitarian Universalist identity. Developing that identity is one of the core goals of the religious education program. The other goals are to nurture spiritual growth, a transforming faith, and vital communities of justice and love. 